The Torah refers to Chala in several different places as Truma. It uses the word Truma. And because of that, we learn that the Halachas of Chala mirror the Halachas of Truma. And so this mission is going to list many halachas which apply to truma, and the Torah says it applies to truma, and the Mishnah says that it goes for chala as well. It says the Mishnah, Chala v'hatruma, chala and truma, chayoven aleim misa, one is liable to death by the hands of Hashem, misa b'deshamayim, if a non-Kohen eats chala or truma on purpose. So again, the Torah explicitly says that with regards to truma, and because the Torah calls chala truma, we learn that this applies to chala as well. Now, if somebody eats truma unintentionally, he has to pay back the value plus a chaymesh. So the Mishnah says, v'chaymesh, this punishment of adding on a fifth applies to chala as well. Now, these two punishments for eating truma or chala only apply to somebody who eats at least a kazayas, at least the size of an olive, of the chala or the truma. But the Mishnah says, v'asrum lazorim, they are forbidden for non-karnim to eat even a tiny bit of the chala or truma. Although they might not get that punishment for eating just a tiny bit, it's forbidden to eat any amount of the chala or the truma. The Heimlich say Kohen, and they are the property, they are the possession of the Kohen. Meaning once the Kohen has received them, he can do what he likes with them. He could sell them on, he has to treat them with sanctity, so he can't allow them to become Tomei. However, unlike other tithes such as Maishashani, which one is not allowed to sell or do any business with, Chala and Truma are considered the Kohen's possession, and that also means he can buy anything by exchanging the Chala for anything. The Ilmbech they are nullified one in a hundred, meaning if one unit of truma gets mixed with a hundred units, at least, of chulin, then the truma is nullified in the chulin, and we consider the entire mixture chulin. If there's less than a hundred times chulin than truma, however, then we need to treat the entire mixture as truma, and that is known as a meduma, which is a mixture of truma and chulin, when there is less than a hundred times more chulin than truma. And that applies also for chala, that chala is nullified if there are one hundred times more chulin than the chala. Now the halacha is that because of the sanctity and the high level of truma and, chul- and chala, the laws with regards to their tumor are more strict. Now in general, regular food, regular chulin food, and even most of the ties such as maiseshani or maiserishan, they can only become a sheni tumor. A sheni tumor means that it's two degrees removed from the original source of the, tr- of the tumor. So for example, if the original source of the tumor was a dead insect, something which touches that becomes a rishen tumor and something which touches the Rishon Latumah becomes a Shani Latumah, two degrees removed from the original source of the Tumah. Now, if the Shani Latumah were to touch regular food, it would not become Tomei, because regular food cannot become three degrees removed Tomei. However, when it comes to Truma and Chala, it can become even a Shlishi Latumah. So if it touches something which touched something which touched the original source of the Tumah, then it would still become Tomei as a Shlishi Latumah, three degrees removed from the original source of the Tumah. Namidrabonon, one's hands are generally assumed to be a Shani Latuma, meaning if one doesn't know that he touched a Tome item. However, he wasn't watching his hands and being very careful with his hands, and because hands always moving about and touching things, Midrabonon, we consider one's hands, only one's hands, a Shani Latuma, which means that if one's hands touch regular food, the regular food will not become Tome, because regular food cannot become a Shlishi Latuma. However, if one's hands touch truma, that means truma touched a sheni latuma, which would make the truma a shlishi latuma. And because of that, before one eats truma, and the same goes for chala, one needs to wash his hands, because washing one's hands removes this rabbinic level of sheni latuma, which means that if your hands then touch the truma or the chala, they will not become tomei. Now, a kohen who is tomei is not allowed to eat truma or chala. 
But it goes a bit further than this, because even once the Kohen has gone through his whole purification process, and the last stage in purifying himself is going to the mikveh, dipping himself in the water of the mikveh, but the halacha is that from the time that he has gone to the mikveh, even though he's done everything which he needs to do, he is still not allowed to eat trimmer or chala, or carbonus at that matter, until that night. So for the rest of the day, he is known as a tavul yoim, which means he went to the mikveh that day, but Vahari of Shemesh, he needs to wait, he needs to wait until the sun has gone down, and, is, and it has become evening, before he can eat Truma and Chala once again. Another halacha which we learnt when we learnt Vesechus Trumas, is that if somebody is separating Truma from one lot of produce on behalf of other produce as well, you're allowed to do that as long as the two piles of produce are the same type, so if instead of separating trimmer from each one, you want to separate double from one of them, on behalf of both piles of produce, you're allowed to do so as long as you do it min hamukov, which means that both piles of produce are next to each other. They don't necessarily have to be touching, but they have to be right next to each other. Now if one of those piles is tomei, it still requires the tithes to be separated. However, there's a concern that if one of them is Tome, then the person separating tithes from both of them will not want to allow the Tome pile to go anywhere near the Tohar pile. And therefore, the Eni Tolum la Torah la Tome, Trimo Chalo cannot be separated from a Tohar pile of produce, or Tohar dough, on behalf of Tome dough, or on behalf of Tome produce. The reason being that you are likely not to separate it Min Hamukov. You're likely to make the Tome produce very far away from the Tohar produce, because you're afraid of making the Tohar produce Tome. And therefore, you're going to come to separate the tithes, Shalom and Amukov, not next to each other. So, to prevent you doing that, you're not even allowed to separate from Tohar produce on behalf of Tommy produce. Elam and Amukov, rather, you have to do it when they're right next to each other, and from produce whose processing has been completed, one can only separate Maestras and Trimmer once the produce has been fully processed, and same goes for the dough. Only once it is actually kneaded into the dough can you separate the Chala. And finally, the last similarity is If somebody declares my whole threshing floor, all of my produce should be truma, and I'm making all of my dough chala. I'm giving all of it to the Kohen. Says the Mishnah, oh my Klomi hasn't said anything and it is an invalid designation, and it won't be considered truma or chala. Unless he leaves some of it for himself, the reason being that the Torah says you have to separate the first part of your grain, or the first part of your dough, as truma or chala which implies that you can't separate the entire dough, it has to be a portion. Now it can be a massive portion, 99% of the dough, but as long as you leave a little bit, so that it's considered a portion, and not the entire produce. Perk Beast Aleph, when it comes to most tithes, since their obligation sets in once the processing of the actual produce and the stalks is completed, so any produce which grew in Eretz Yisrael is obligated in the Maestras, but if it grew outside of Eretz Yisrael, then the Maestras do not apply, at least on a Deirais or Torah-based level. However, when it comes to chala, the obligation doesn't set in on the produce itself when that's completed, rather at a later stage once it's actually turned into flour and then made into dough. Only when it's kneaded into dough does it become obligated in chala. And therefore, peris chutz la'aretz, if produce grew outside of Eretz Yisrael, but then shenichnesu la'aretz, it was brought into the land of Eretz Yisrael, after it was processed, but before it was kneaded into dough, and then it was kneaded in Eretz Yisrael. Says the Mishnah, Chayavim they are obligated in Chala, and this is learned from the Posuk, which says that when you come to Eretz Yisrael, which I will bring you to, then the Torah adds another word, which says Shoma, over there. Now the word over there is unnecessary, and so we learn from there that it comes to include another case where we are obligated in Chala, and that is produce which grew outside of Eretz Yisrael, as long as it is kneaded in Eretz Yisrael, it is obligated in Chala. 
Now, what happens if it's the opposite case? If it was brought out of here, out of Eretz Yisrael, to Chutz Laaretz. So the produce grew in Eretz Yisrael. So it's obligated in all the other tithes, and all the other laws which apply to produce. But then, at the time that the Chala obligation sets in, it was no longer in Eretz Yisrael. So Rabbi Yezer says it is obligated in Chala. Since the Torah says, when you eat from the bread of the land, you're obligated in Chala, which implies that any bread which is baked from Eretz Yisrael produce, even if at the time that you eat it, or at the time that you make it into dough, it's not an Eretz Yisrael, it's still Eretz Yisrael bread and Eretz Yisrael produce. And therefore it's still obligated in Chala. However, Rabbi Akiva Poiter, Rabbi Akiva exempts it from Chala, and he actually learns this also from the word Shoma. The Torah says you're obligated over there, which implies that you're only obligated if at the time that the obligation sets in, Meaning, at the time that you needed it into dough, if it was an Eretz Yisrael, then, then it's obligated. But if not, then it will be exempt. So, according to Yaakiva, it all depends on that critical time when it becomes obligated in Chala. Mishnah Beit, so we saw in the previous Mishnah that any dough which is needed in Eretz Yisrael, everybody agrees that that is obligated in Chala. We had a discussion if it grew in Eretz Yisrael and was needed outside of Eretz Yisrael, what's the Halacha? But everyone agrees that if it is needed inside of Eretz Yisrael when the obligation sets in, then it is obligated in Chala. Now the case of our Mishnah is where somebody brings soil, he uproots soil from outside of Eretz Yisrael, puts it onto a ship, sails the ship to Eretz Yisrael, and parks the ship next to the Eretz Yisrael land, and the soil remains in the ship. And he plants produce in the soil there, but remember the soil came from outside of Eretz Yisrael. Now even if you were to consider the soil and that which grows from it to be produce of outside of Eretz Yisrael, that wouldn't make a difference to Chala. Because as we saw, as long as you need the dough in, in Eretz Yisrael, it's obligated in Chala, irrelevant of where it grew. The focus of our mission is not with regards to Chala, rather it pertains to the tithes and the other laws which apply to Eretz Yisrael produce. And so the question of the Mishnah is, is this considered to be Eretz Yisrael produce? Now if it grew only in soil from outside of Eretz Yisrael, and the soil was on top of the ship, so since it's gaining all of its nourishment from outside of Eretz Yisrael's soil, it will not be considered Eretz Yisrael produce. However, the case of our Mishnah is where there are holes at the bottom of the ship, and to fill up the holes, they filled it up with earth. Hard pieces of earth, that's filling up the holes. And then on the floor of the ship, they put lots of soil from outside of Eretz Yisrael and plant produce in that soil. So since the soil is on top of earth, and the earth is touching the sea below it, which means that it's gaining nourishment from the soil on the floor of the sea, and because it's right next to Eretz Yisrael's land, it's very shallow, so it's near to the seabed, and that means that Eretz Yisrael's soil is giving nourishment to the pieces of earth in the bottom of the ship which are filling up the holes, and through that, the soil on top of that earth also gains nourishment. So since they are gaining nourishment from Eretz Yisrael's soil, the Eretz Yisrael's seabed, it is considered Eretz Yisrael produce. So the mission begins, Soil from outside of Eretz Yisrael, which was brought on a ship to Eretz Yisrael, and you planted things in that soil, and as we explained, there are holes in the ship, and it was filled up with earth, so that produce will be obligated in tides, and the Shmita laws will apply to it as well, that's once every seven years, so you can't work the land, and that which grew during Shmita has special laws, special sanctity, so that would apply to this, just like it would apply to regular Eretz Yisrael produce. Now, Behuda clarifies what exactly we're talking about. Omar Behuda, Behuda says, Amosai, when is this the case that they're obligated in Mises and Shavias, and they are considered Eretz Yisrael produce, that's only Bismanchas Fino Geisheshes, in a time, in a situation, where the ship is actually touching the ground. It's touching the seabed. 
So there's no water in between the earth of the ship and the floor of the sea, and therefore nourishment and nutrients are being given from the Eretz's soil seabed to the earth and therefore to the soil. But if it's not actually touching the ground, so then that means that the soil is not gaining nourishment from Eretz's soil seabed, and as such it will not be considered Eretz's soil produce, and it will be exempt from Maestas and Shmita. Now the Mishnah ends off by talking about dough which is kneaded together with fruit juice. So instead of adding water to the dough and the flour, fruit juice was added to the flour. Now we mentioned in the previous parak that there's a minimum size of dough which is obligated in challah. Now if water is added to flour, so all of the flour becomes one dough, and it's considered one unit, which makes up just one piece of dough. But when other liquids are mixed with the flour, the dough doesn't necessarily become such a solid piece, which all of the dough is like one piece. Often the flour doesn't stick together as well, and so it could be argued that if fruit juice is added to the flour, then all of the flour does not produce one unit of dough, and rather it's lots of small pieces of flour which are stuck together slightly, but it's not considered one unit, as as such, it might be argued that it should be exempt from challah, since it's like lots of small pieces of dough, but not one large piece of dough. But the mission says that is not the case, rather chayeves b'challah, it is obligated in challah since the fruit juices do bind together the flour enough for it all to be considered like one big piece of dough. And the Mishnah adds another law with regards to Tumah, and that is that food can only become Tomei if it has come into contact with one of seven liquids. For example, water, milk, honey. Now one of those seven liquids is not fruit juices. And therefore, if the flour was only mixed with fruit juices and no water was added whatsoever, it's just natural fruit juices, then that dough and the bread ultimately will not be able to become Tomei. So it comes out that it can be eaten with Tomei hands, and even the challah which is separated from it can be eaten with somebody who has Tomei hands, since it's impossible for that dough to become Tomei since it has not come into contact with one of the seven liquids. Mr. Gimbal, when one separates challah with Jabonon, he needs to make a bracha on that separation. One who is not wearing any clothes, however, is not able to make a bracha. And therefore, he shouldn't separate challah because he won't be able to make the bracha on that, so he would end up violating that midrabonon command. Now, it's true that if you separate challah without the bracha, it is valid, but lechatchila, ideally, one shouldn't do, do so if he knows they won't be able to make a bracha. Now, the main area which we are concerned about are the lower private areas of men and women, and as long as those are covered, you will be able to make a bracha. And because of that, a woman can sit down and then designate her chala, a rumor, even if she is unclothed. And she is allowed to make a bracha then, because while she is sitting, because she is able to cover her lower private parts while she is sitting, but not a man, because even when a man is sitting down, his lower private parts are not covered. And because of that, he can't make a bracha, so ideally he shouldn't be the one who separates the chala. However, if he does separate the chala and doesn't make a bracha, it is valid once he has done it. The second half of this Mishnah concerns Misha in Yochala one who is unable to produce and to process and to make his dough in a state of tahara, in a state of purity. So, for example, if he's Tomei and there's no mikveh around, and for whatever reason he can't appoint a messenger to do it for him, the question is, should he try and avoid the whole obligation of chala? Or should he separate Tomei Chalog, give it to the Kohen, who will then have to burn it? So according to the Tanakama, Yasen Kabin, he should make the dough into pieces which are only a kav size. Now the minimum size which will be obligated in Chalog is a kav and a half. So if each piece of dough is only the size of a kav, then they will be exempt from Chalog. But Yasen and you should not make it in a state of Tumah by making it into one dough, because then you will be causing Chalog to be destroyed. 
it's better than there not be any chala in the first place than to get it, to designate it, and then to destroy it. However, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, you should make it and designate the chala as tomei, and you shouldn't make it as just small pieces, which are exempt from chala. And Rabbi Akiva explains his reasoning, in the same way as he calls the pure chala, he calls it chala, and it gets the name of chala, which has holiness and sanctity to it, in the same way, he calls Tomedo, the part which is separated as Chala, he calls that Chala. Both get the name of Chala. But pieces of dough which are only the size of a Kav, don't have a part in this name, and you won't even fulfill the mitzvah of Chala. You won't be giving sanctity to something which really deserves the sanctity. And so, contrary to Akiva, you should separate it, even though in the future it will need to be destroyed by the Kohen.